This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. When we gather together, it's for various purposes, but one of the key purposes is to get to understand God's purpose and his will for our lives. We are to eat the word of God. Jesus said, man does not live by bread only, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So my desire this morning is that my ears will be open to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to me, and that your ears will be open to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. I'm so thankful that God is always aware of everything that's going on at the same time, which boggles me because my mind can't handle all that information. But God knows every single thing that is happening in each and every one of our lives, and he is intricately involved. Now, we know that God is all-powerful, and at any time he can do whatever he wants to do. But God has chosen to act in a way that is always in accordance with his word, which is his will revealed to us. So whenever we find ourselves wondering about how would God act in this situation, God's actions are always going to flow from his heartbeat. And sometimes when we read the word of God, if we don't understand the heart of God, we can miss what God is trying to say to us. There are people who read the same Bible who can come to vastly different conclusions. And the reason that is possible is because they do not yet know the heart of God. God cares about people more than anything else. All this stuff in this world is going to pass away one day. In fact, your physical body, you're only going to have it for so long. The scripture refers to it as a tent that you're living in. But one day you're going to move and you're going to change addresses. And the physical body that you have, you won't have any longer. So everything we see, everything we touch, it's all gone. For most of us in this room, within 100 years, you won't be in this tent anymore. And so it's so important that we understand God's heartbeat. In the area in which we live in Springfield, there are many people who are lost, who do not understand or know the love of God. And God has commissioned us with the responsibility to share the love of God with other people with the lost, with those who do not know him. Now, this can be a daunting task for some of us, uh, especially if we feel like we don't talk to people well and we might feel limited in our ability to communicate. 
But I'm so thankful that God never called us to this task alone. But rather, he sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will help us to get the job done that he has asked us to do. But what I want to focus on talking to all of us in this room about is something that is really key. That every single one of us need the grace of God. If we do not come to understand how much we personally need the grace of God, we will never be adequately prepared to be able to share the grace of God with others. Because our perspective will be, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person, so I'm going to bring some good news to them because they certainly need Jesus. But we can forget how much we need him. And if our, if our message is not rooted in the reality that we were destined for death, if it were not for the goodness of our God, then we will not understand how to bring the good news to the lost. It's not a matter of coming up with something that sounds rationally good enough to be able to convince a person who needs to understand about God. The mind is never going to be able to fully wrap itself around God anyways. It has to start at the heart, which is why I want to talk to you about how important it is for us to understand the heartbeat of God. And not just for your neighbor, not just for the person who lives uh, in your area, but rather it starts with God's heart for you. And when you understand God's heart for you, then you can bring the message to others. Jesus chose to go to a town and to sit at a well knowing that he had divine business to attend to. And there was a woman who showed up at the well who had lived a very immoral lifestyle. She had had uh, five husbands, and the woman that she was with was not even her husband. Jesus initiated a conversation with her by asking her to give him some water. This was very unusual because Jews normally had nothing to do with Samaritan people. And after Jesus initiated that conversation, she was quite taken back. But he said to her, if you knew who I was and what I had to offer you, you would ask me and I would give you living water, after which you drink it, you would never thirst again. And through a series of, of, uh, of steps, Jesus began to reveal to her who he really was. And after those conversations with this lady, she went back to the town and she said, I met a man who told me everything I had ever done. Because Jesus knew her, not just from the outside, what she was wearing that day. He didn't know her just by the fact that she was in the Samaritan area and that she was indeed a Samaritan. Jesus was looking at her heart. And he cared about her as a person. And when you and I begin to see people 
how God sees them. We're going to look beyond the culture that a person's from. We're going to look beyond the color of their skin. We're going to look beyond the language that they speak. We're going to look beyond all of these exterior things. And we're going to begin to understand that God sees every single one of us the same. He sees our heart. And because he sees our heart, he understands the ugliness and the dirt that is there. Now, I'm going to say some strong things, but there's some good that's going to come. So I want to preface it that way. Some of us think of ourselves better than we really are, and that's a problem. Because when we see ourselves better than how God sees us, then we don't understand how much we need the grace of God. And the reason then that we evangelize others is because we somehow think they're worse, worse than us and that we have to help them out. I want to read to you from the book of Romans, if you would turn with me to chapter 2. If we here at Christian Life Center are going to be effective to fulfill the great commission that God has given us, it has to start from the proper foundation. And just a little background to where we're going to begin in chapter 2. The writer of the book of Romans begins by talking about some who have lived in uh, great sin. Some of the things that he references are, for example... Uh, lives that have become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. In these who invent new ways of sinning and to disobey their parents, refusing to understand, breaking their promises, heartless, and have no mercy. And then, verse 1 of chapter 2 says, you may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life 
to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. The day is coming when God will reveal everything that is going on in every heart. Verse 16 says, and this is the message that I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. Now, thankfully, our secret life is not put on display for everybody at church to see. That's God's grace. But my friend, your secret life will not remain secret forever. God's grace is intended to draw us to a point of repentance so that when the day of reckoning comes, our secret life will not bring an embarrassment to us, but rather that we will have made things right with God. You see, God is intending to bring good news to every single one. And that good news is that there is redemption, there is restoration, and there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But that good news will only make sense if we fully understand the bad news. And the bad news is this. In John chapter 3, Jesus was having a conversation with a religious man named Nicodemus. And as he spoke to him, he spoke to him about heavenly things. And Nicodemus, a very religious man, was not fully understanding what Jesus said. And in chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus said, If you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Verse 16 is a verse many of us are very aware of, which says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 says God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, praise God, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. 
and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. The day is coming when my secret life will be fully exposed. And yours too. God's heart is that we will be redeemed and that we will be saved. But we have a great problem. And that problem is, is that according to God's law, neither you nor I measure up. And even when we attempt to do what is right, we fail, we fall short. And even when we are doing the best that we know how, we can still fall short of the glory of God. And so God, in sending his own son, Jesus Christ, came to redeem me from my sin, to redeem you from your sin. And that sin would bring a great penalty. See, my life deserved to be ended because of my sin. If it were not for the grace of God, I, as your pastor, am not a good enough person. But because of God's goodness, my death penalty was paid for by Jesus Christ. And only from that perspective can I be able to minister to other people. Though I'm standing on a platform, the only reason for that is so you can see me better. But the truth is, is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the message that I want to bring to you today is that regardless of whether you have been in church for many years, or whether you have even known about God for many years, your understanding of the do's and don'ts of what is right is not enough for you to live right with God. But you must understand how desperately you need the grace of God. And if you have never come to an understanding that you yourself deserve the death penalty, even if you have grown up in a Christian home, if you do not understand the penalty for your sin, then you cannot effectively reach out to the lost and dying world. And so the Holy Spirit needs to reveal to us, as the Word of God says, that our heart is wicked. Who can understand the depth of its wickedness? That's the bad news. But the good news is that the heartbeat of God is redemption. And so when you and I find ourselves prostrate before God, saying, God, I don't deserve your mercy. I cannot demand it. 
But I am here and I ask you for it. When we come with that attitude, he pours out his grace upon us. And he reaches down and he restores us from the depths. Now, you don't have to be caught in every vice there is to experience the grace and the redemption of the Lord. But nevertheless, you need to understand that without the goodness of God, that you yourself would be lost forever. And only then can there come from within us a passion to be able to reach the lost. Because then we will understand that just as we were destined for death, so is everyone in this world. God does not show favoritism. God sees our heart. And my friend, whether we want to realize it or not, that those who do not choose to accept the free gift of Jesus Christ are condemned already. Already. It's already a done deal. There is no good work that any of us could offer to make us acceptable unto God. It is only through Jesus Christ. So there was a very interesting situation that Jesus found himself in John chapter 8. If you would turn with me to that portion of scripture. Because the religious leaders that interacted with Jesus had a very good understanding of the law. They understood what was wrong. They understood what was right. But they did not understand the heartbeat of God. And as we go through this, I want to share with you that my prayer is that here at Christian Life Center, that the heartbeat of this church will not be the heartbeat of these religious people that understood what was right, they understood what was wrong, but they did not understand the compassion of God. And so Jesus... was surrounded by a crowd and he was teaching them. And as he was speaking, verse 3 says that the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Now picture this for a moment. Under the law of Moses, which, by the way, the law of Moses was given by God himself. This was not something Moses made up. This was something that God gave to Moses. And according to that law, it laid out the penalty for the sin of adultery. The sin of adultery did not come with the penalty of a slap on the wrist. But the penalty of adultery came with the gravest of penalties, and that was the death penalty. That was the price for adultery. Now, I want to add this. That price has never changed, my friends. That price has never changed. But the payment of that price has been made. 
So we need to understand that when we sin, the gravity of that sin has never changed. And so here's this woman. The scripture says that there has to be, when someone is brought before the court, there has to be two, at the minimum, or three witnesses to be able to affirm that something happened. Now, look at this scenario for a minute. Here is a woman who these leaders, spiritual leaders, are bringing before Jesus. And they say, this woman was caught. So in other words, they're saying, there is no guessing about this. She is definitely wrong. Consider this. How many people does it take to commit adultery? Two. How many people were brought before Jesus? Do you see a missing link there? Now, I'm just assuming a little bit, but it's very possible that this was a complete setup. It's also possible that the religious leaders were in on it. I'm just sharing possibilities. Because there was only one person brought to Jesus. And the man, for some reason, was nowhere in the mix of this conversation. And so because they want to drive their point home, they don't approach Jesus quietly to try to adjust this matter. They bring this lady before everybody. They want to make an example of her. Now listen to what Jesus does. They put her in front of the crowd. Verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Now, the enemy's always trying to trap God and his people. But the scripture says there is no plan of the enemy that will ever succeed against the Lord. Now, this is a wonderful benefit that you and I have as followers of Jesus. Because we have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God inside of us, so that we will be able to handle situations just like this. Now think for a moment. If you're in this situation, you may know the story, so you may be able to jump to the end of the story to think of what you would do, but put yourself in that situation for a moment and think of what you would do. So everybody's watching. These people are speaking. This lady is in front of the whole crowd. And what does Jesus do? But he stoops down and he begins to write in the dirt with his finger. Now, there are various people who have tried to assume what Jesus wrote in the dirt with his finger. 
Now, I'm going to take the position that if it was that important that we understood exactly what he wrote, it would have been in the scripture. Okay. However, it's interesting to assume some possibilities. Jesus may have been writing down in the dirt the sins of those who were standing there accusing her. That is a possibility because he knew them. Uh, just like he knew the sins of that Samaritan woman. So he could very well have begun to write the things that they had done in their secret life without mentioning any names. Who but knows? We don't know exactly what Jesus wrote, but considering the circumstances, this was not a leisurely talk in the park where you're just taking a lot of time and, hey, let me just take a moment to write in the dirt. You've got a crowd of people watching. You've got a woman who is destined for the death penalty. And you've got religious people who are pressing Jesus for an answer. So this was no low-pressure situation. This is a high-pressure situation. And what does Jesus do? He just takes a break and begins to write in the dirt. I want to make a note here. When you feel pressured to make a quick decision, take a break. If it's that important, it's worth taking a break for. I've been in situations, and I believe you probably have as well, where you feel so pressed to give an answer immediately. When in doubt, don't wait. The scripture says be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. That works in pressure situations. And some of those most pressuring situations can happen right in your own home, can't they? Between spouses, parents and kids, in-laws, all kinds of scenarios. But the same principle applies. The Holy Spirit is with you. Take advantage of listening to what he has to say. So Jesus stoops down and he writes in the dirt. Verse 7 says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. Now, these were the religious leaders. They were attempting to say that Jesus did not have any authority to be able to make these decisions because they were the ones who knew. And yet they're standing in front of him and they're demanding an answer. They wanted to trap him. They didn't really want to know the right answer. <clears throat> he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and continued riding in the dirt. I love Jesus. I love the way he works. And I want to learn to be more like him, don't you? Here he is in the midst of all of this pressure going on. He stands up and he says, all right, you want to kill her? Go ahead. The one who hasn't sinned, you can start. 
Go for it. In fact, you get the privilege and honor of throwing the first stone to make sure that justice is done in this situation. And without pressing further, he sits down and keeps writing. Because Jesus sees the secret life. He saw their hearts. And then it says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus isn't even just eyeing the whole thing. No doubt he knew what was going on, but he stoops down and he's writing. And as he's writing, keep in mind, there's a crowd watching. All of a sudden, the pressure is now put on the leaders. And the whole crowd is wondering, wow, we're about to see a stoning. Now, they were used to that because that's what would happen. The death penalty would be meted out. I wonder which of the religious leaders has no sin. And as they're watching, no doubt, it says that it started with the oldest. Uh, the oldest must have been the wisest. He knew to get out of there right away. <laughs> and so no doubt, that one by one they tried to slip out of there without anybody seeing them leave. Because their own conscience convicted them that not one was without sin. And the only one left was Jesus. So he said... Um, let the one without sin throw the first stone. Was there anybody left in this equation who was without sin? Yeah. So who had full right to throw the stone? Jesus. He could have started it. He absolutely had that right. And if Jesus had stoned that woman to death... Would have he had the right to do that? Think about that for a moment. According to the law that was given by his own father, would have he had the right? The answer is yes. He would have had that right. But he knew that in the not-too-distant future, he would be kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he would be given the opportunity by his father to take the very penalty that that woman kneeling before him would have received. Oh, that penalty was paid. That penalty was paid, all right. It just wasn't her that paid it. And so Jesus, knowing that, that, would, that justice would be done, but he would be the one receiving that penalty, 
even though he had never sinned. Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? I love the Lord's questions. Where'd they go? They seemed uh, quite interested in killing you. In fact, they kept pressing me for an answer while everybody was looking. Where'd they go? Didn't even one stick around? No, Lord, she said. Now, I want to pause there before we get to the, the really good news in the next verse. Every one of us, without the mercy of Jesus, deserved what that woman could have received. The scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, it's good for us to be able to quote uh, all the verses about evangelism, be able to share them with people, but my friend, it all starts from you understanding God's heartbeat for you. If you have never reached the point where you have cried out to God in forgiveness for your own sin, you don't really have a message to bring to the lost. Oh, you may mimic what someone else said on TV or what another pastor or preacher said, and that's all good because the word of God is powerful, but you don't have your own message to share. And it will never come forth with power until it's had its work on you. If the Holy Spirit has not gripped your heart to the point where you de understand your desperate need for Jesus, then all you're going to present to the world is another option. But Jesus is not just an option. He's your very life source. And when you understand that he's your life source, you'll share the message differently. You'll share it like the Samaritan woman did. Oh, everybody knew her in her town. She didn't have a good rapport with the people. They all knew about her previous husbands and that she wasn't married to the man she was living with. So what kind of a messenger is that? And yet look what happened. Because of the transformation that happened at that well, she became an evangelist. She went and told all of her neighbors. She didn't go say, well, I just found out a bunch of rules, and I think you guys are going to be really excited to hear them, so why don't you come talk to the man who told them to me? No. Because she'd already broken the rules. Jesus offered to her life, and she didn't deserve it. And that took her back. It took her by surprise because she understood that she deserved death. She deserved what this woman who was kneeling before Jesus deserved. She deserved to be stoned too. But Jesus said, I'll give you some living water if you ask for it. And see, the world in which we live will never really grasp their need for Christ until they understand where they're heading. 
the good news is not so good until you realize the bad news. And it's the Holy Spirit, my friends, that convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. That's what the Bible says. Those religious people, Jesus knew that they wouldn't throw the stone because the Holy Spirit was convicting their heart. That was a big risk he took. Can you imagine if Jesus wasn't sure if those people would have thrown a stone? But he knew because he and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, work in unity. And the Holy Spirit was convicting while Jesus was sitting there writing. This is the message that I want to share with you today. You're not accepted as a part of the family of God because you attend Christian Life Center or because you don't smoke or you don't drink or you don't do drugs or you don't uh, uh, do these lists of things. That does not make you a part of the family of God, my friends. It is the grace of Jesus that has adopted you into his family. And you need to understand that whether or not you've committed adultery, you desperately need the forgiveness of Jesus. And when you come to that point, then you're able to share that news with others. And when the Samaritan woman shared that news, she brought a throng, a multitude of people. Now, why do you think those people ended up coming to Jesus? This wasn't your average invitation to church that brought all those people in. This was, I was destined for death, but I can tell you about someone who gave me life instead. If we're going to reach Springfield and the surrounding area for Jesus, that's where it's going to come from. Evangelism that is birthed in an understanding that if it weren't for Jesus, I'd be dead. But because of his grace, I've been redeemed. And you can be redeemed too. You can have your life transformed by the grace of God. But if we don't have that perspective, we could be a long-term member of a church for many years and fall closer into the category of the religious leaders who would bring that person to Jesus and say, Jesus, this person deserves death. What do you say? Are we going to get to see a stoning today? Or do we come to, from the perspective of being willing to have a compassionate heart and to say, I know you deserve death. It's true. But I deserved it too. Jesus paid the price for me, and he paid the price for you. If you would close yourself in with God, and if the worship team pl could please come on down. I believe the call of God to you today is, do you understand your need for the grace of God? I'm not just talking to unbelievers 
a person in this room who may have not committed their life to Christ. I'm talking to you who have made the decision to follow Jesus. Do you understand your need for the grace of God? Because if not, God wants to open your eyes this morning. God wants to show you how much you need him. If you're here today and you want the grace of God to fully work in your heart and I don't care how long you've been serving Jesus, but if there is a point in your spirit right now and God is calling you to humble yourself before him, to recognize that you are not without sin and therefore you need to leave the stones in the hands of Jesus, the day will come when judgment will be poured out. And yes, everybody will get what they deserve who have not surrendered their hearts to the one who paid the penalty for them. But let's never join the crowd of those asking for no mercy. because you need it too. Every one of those religious leaders, one day, they're not around anymore. They are not on this earth. Their bodies are gone. Their spirits are either in the presence of God if they repented or they are lost forever. But one day at that final judgment, they're going to stand before God and give an account for everything they have done, just like you and I will. And I can only hope that those religious leaders, before they died, cried out for mercy from God. Because they're going to need it when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And my friend, you and I need it too. As your pastor, I need the grace and mercy of God. And so do you. So this is my simple call to you this morning. If in your spirit God is calling you to a deeper understanding of how much you need his grace, then I welcome you to leave your seat and to come to this altar between you and God. Ask for mercy. If you've been critical in any way, maybe thinking, yes, that person deserves this. But if the Spirit of God is speaking to you and saying, humble yourself before me so that you don't receive what you are expecting others to receive. 
because mercy triumphs over just judgment. And that's God's heartbeat. It's not just his heartbeat for the lost. It's his heartbeat for every person sitting at Christian Life Center today. And so as the worship team leads us, this is an open invitation. And if you're here and have not experienced the grace of God in the past, you've never committed your life to Christ, you're welcome to come forward as well and allow the Spirit of God to wash you clean and to invite you into his family through the price that he paid for you. So if the Lord has spoken to you along those lines, then would you please respond and let God minister to your heart today and fill you with his grace for others. Spirit of God, you're welcome to work in every heart, including mine. Would you draw us to a realization of how desperately we need your mercy so that we don't look at others from a high pedestal, but from the same level. We lean on your grace.